0: Good morning. morning. My name is John Cavell, and as of September 1st, it is my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs Bible Church. So this morning, well, thank you. (laughs) I feel the same way. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Today, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark, talking about what it means to be a disciple. And uh, the passage we're going to be in today is Mark chapter 7, Uh, I'll be reading from the CSB. Uh, You can read from whatever version you'd like, whether you have it electronically or in print. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have some that are along the back walls that you can use. If you don't have a Bible at all, you're invited to keep it, and you can take it home and make it your very own. And today we're going to answer the question, what makes us clean before God? Which is a very nice way of saying that today we're going to talk about sin, and specifically y'all's sin. (laughs) So, sorry. Hope you don't feel too conspicuous as we go through it today. But you know, there's a lot of sin in the world. There's a lot of sin in this room, if I can be so presumptuous. In fact, I sinned after I walked into this room this morning. I will confess that sin to you later. Okay, so stay tuned. You'll be quivering in anticipation of hearing my sin. But, you know, sin isn't always thought of as a bad thing by people. In fact, I remember hearing recently the phrase sinfully delicious. So I did a little research, and I found a couple of websites that maybe you'd be interested in. Sinfullydelicious.com. Sinfullydeliciousbakingcompany.com. And sinfullydeliciouscupcakes.com. So when we say the word sinful... Maybe it doesn't always mean bad. It could mean delicious (laughs) or something. (laughs) But today the question at hand is what makes us clean? What makes you clean? What makes me clean? And so, like I said, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 7 at verse 1, where it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, and they observed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. Now, this isn't just talking about washing your hands before dinner, okay? This was a ceremonial ritual that they performed, that they expected people to perform, because you might have had any contact at all with someone who was unclean. And so this group had come from Jerusalem, means they were probably dispatched, they were probably sent to follow Jesus around, to look for things that he, in their mind, was doing wrong or was saying wrong. And so these are Jew, uh, sorry, Jewish religious leaders that were now becoming more and more openly hostile to Jesus. And so the accusation that they level at Jesus is that violating our religious tradition is sin. They're not saying necessarily that violating the Bible is is sin but violating the religious tradition which they held on the same level as God's word. So in verse 5 it says then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands. See their problem is that Jesus was not teaching his disciples his followers to follow their rules. And so a little background on the Pharisees. We typically see them as, as enemies of Jesus, of people that were always hassling Jesus, but we don't always talk about why. And basically their background starts long before Jesus came on the scene, and that they, were, they believed that the Old, the Old Testament pattern was still in effect. That basically you could summarize the Old Testament by saying that God says, worship only me, and I will provide for you and protect you. Worship other gods... And I withdraw my protection and withdraw my provision. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see this recurring pattern of God's people worshiping him and being protected and being provided for. And then they stop worshiping him and they start worshiping other gods and he withdraws his protection. He withdraws his provision and then they get stomped by some other tribe or nation who takes them in captivity. And that's where the nation of Israel is at this point. They are under the oppressive yoke of the Roman Empire, and the Pharisees wanted to get God's people free. And in their minds, the way you get God's people free is to get God's people holy. And so they, over the years, began developing all these ways and all these rules by which they believed would make God's people holy. And that's what their big, hairy problem is with Jesus, because he wasn't teaching people to follow these rules. And so they saw him as being against their agenda. And so down in verse 6, Jesus answered them, these Pharisees. He says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. (laughs) He's not playing nice. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men, disregarding the command of God You keep the tradition of men. So Jesus is basically laying it out and saying, look, you guys care more about your rules and more about your traditions than what God says. That's what you're following. So now jump down to verse 13. Jesus says, you invoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. So now Jesus is going to respond to their accusation. Because basically what they've been saying is violating their religious tradition is sin. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. In fact, Jesus' response to their accusation is, you are the source of your sin. You are the source of your own sin. So he goes on in verse 14, and he's summoning the crowd again. He told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him. And he's talking about unclean foods and things like that. He says, but the things that come out of a person... Or what defiles him. If anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Then he went into the house, away from the crowd. The disciples asked him about what he just said. And he said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile them? And then down to verse 20, he says, What comes out of a person, that is what defiles him. Well, what comes out of a person? Thoughts, words, and actions. That's where your sin is. It's not because you ate the wrong thing or because you didn't perform certain rituals, it's actually what comes out of you that shows what your sin is. His whole point is that human efforts, religious works are not gonna accomplish or replace what God did through the cross. Now Jesus, at this point, has not gone yet to the cross. So he's looking forward to that event and we're reading it, and we're looking backward at that, to that event that has already happened. And so what this typically does is it starts bringing up a question. Are all sins the same? Are all sins the same? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes and, and no. No. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21 now, he says, For for from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. That's quite a list. And we might look at that list and go, well, some of that stuff is bad. Some of it's really bad. Some of it's not really all that bad. And so I was curious about what people would really think of this. So I went to the place where we do find all knowledge of things spiritual, Facebook. And I put up a question and asked people, all right, so of this list from Mark chapter 7, of these things, which do you find the three to five most offensive? Three to five most offensive from that list. And the big three were murder, adultery, and deceit. All three of those got voted by more than 50% of the people that responded. Everything else, less than 50% of the people thought they were really all that bad. Okay, So most of us do rank certain things, certain sins, as being worse than others. So we're all sins the same. No. Not every sin has the same consequence. Not every sin has the same impact. Not every sin does the same amount of harm to another person. But are all sins the same? Yes. Because all sin starts in the same place. Right here. In a human heart. So sins are different in their impact and consequence, but they're the same because they all start in the same place. In one person, greed may result in fudging on an expense account. In another person, greed results in a $590 million Ponzi scheme. In one person, anger may have the result of losing your temper and saying something stupid that you later regret. In another person, anger has the result of literally firing on somebody who disrespected you for the last time. Different results, different consequences, different impact, but they all start in the same place. They're all the same, and that they all have their origin in a human heart. Another way that some people view sins differently is when they compare their sin to those of other people. You may have noticed that I have a toothbrush sticking out of my pocket. How many of you noticed that? Good, it worked. This is my toothbrush. Okay, so I put it in my mouth, and it doesn't bother me a bit. One time, um, my wife and I were on a vacation, a trip, and she had forgotten her toothbrush. So I said, well, here, use mine. And she said, no. (laughs) Now, this is my wife, who's been my wife since 1985, the mother of my children, and she doesn't want to use my toothbrush, (laughs) Now, probably my toothbrush is dirty, because I've used it a few times, but guess what? So is yours. And in fact, if we each had a toothbrush and have used it the exact same number of times, probably my toothbrush isn't any worse than yours. And yours probably isn't any worse than mine. But the thought of putting your dirty, gross toothbrush in my mouth is disgusting. And probably the thought of putting my toothbrush in your mouth, which really isn't all that dirty and gross, is disgusting to you. And so we kind of look at sin the same way. Sometimes we look at our own sin and, you know, it's bad, but it's not that bad. But we look at other people's sin and, oh, it's bad. Because we make excuses for ourselves. We know our real intentions. But I don't know yours, <laughs> so I just think your sin is gross. And mine, well, yeah, it's bad, but you know, I I'm a little more compassionate toward myself than I am toward you. And probably it's reciprocal as well. Now I said earlier that I would confess my sin to you. You've all been waiting, quivering in anticipation. Well, here's the thing actually, I lied. Um, I really didn't have a certain sin in mind. I just said that to try to hold your attention, you know, hoping that you'd be thinking about that. So I guess I confessed my sin that I lied about having a sin to confess that I didn't actually have. So I don't know. I'm confused. I don't know what I did. (laughs) So what makes you clean? Well, there's one thing that makes you clean, and it's not religious ritual. It's not religious works. It's not having a cleaner toothbrush than someone else. What makes you clean is God's forgiveness through the cross. That's the only thing. God's forgiveness through the cross. You see, God could have responded a lot of different ways to our sin. He could recoil in disgust like some people do when they see someone else's sin. He could say, all right, that's it. I've had it. I'm tired of watching you. I'm tired of dealing with your sin, and I'm I'm done with you like some people do. He could act like he likes us, but just kind of whisper and gossip about our sin behind our backs, like some people do, (laughs) but he doesn't. So what does he do? Well, Psalm 103 describes what God does regarding our sin. Psalm 103, it says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now, the most important phrase in that is, east is from the west. That's how far God removes our sin. So how far is east from west? Well, you can travel north, and then you get to a point where you can't travel north anymore. Because what are you doing? What way are you going now? South. Yeah, not a trick question. Good. Good. Some of you are a little like, I want to say south, (laughs) but I don't want to be wrong. (laughs) So you can go north, and then you're going south to a certain point where if you keep going, what direction are you going now? You're going north again. You can only go north and south to finite degrees. But you can go east and keep going east and keep going east as far as you want. Or you can go west. And keep going west and never go east. You see, east and west are infinitely apart from one another. Now, when King David wrote Psalm 103, he probably thought the earth was flat like this table. But God knew it was round. And so God inspired David to write east from west instead of north from south. Because that's how far God removes sin from those who have sought his forgiveness and said yes to his forgiveness through Christ. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John, who was one of those original 12 followers of Jesus, he writes this. In John chapter 1, it's describing how Jesus, God in human flesh, came to this planet, came into our world, and it says this, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, meaning you don't inherit it, you don't get it from your folks, nor the will of the flesh, that's talking about those religious works and good deeds and all the things that people want to say, well, you know, this makes me not so bad. Nor the will of man, meaning stuff that other people could do for you. It says, no, but those who are born of God. As many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God, born of God. And that phrase, born of God, is really important because that same writer, John, picks up that phrase again over in 1 John in chapter 5. And it says, for whatever is born or whoever is born of God, remember the one who has received him, said yes to him, become a child of God, is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. And who's the one who's overcome the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So Jesus has overcome the world. If you were born of God, meaning you received Jesus, you overcome through him. Well, what does that mean? It's kind of like being the worst player on a championship team. So let's say that you're on, it's the NBA finals, and you're on the team that wins. But you're really not very good. So you never played. But you're on the team. So do you get the ring? Yeah. You didn't contribute anything to the win, but you get a ring because you're on the team. Well, that's kind of like what this means. Jesus has overcome. He's done all the work. He's overcome the world. And because you're born of God, because you've received him, because you're a child of God, as a follower of Christ, you win because he won. You win because he won. Because he overcame the world, you overcome in him. And then there's one more thing. Same writer again. Goes to the book of Revelation. And this is Jesus speaking. Whoever overcomes, remember the one who has received him, who God gave the right to become children of God, who are born of God, who overcome the world because they've overcome. in Jesus, then it says, whoever overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I, Jesus, will not erase their name from the book of life. That word not in Greek, is literally not-not. It says, I will not-not erase his name. Now, if you apply English grammar to that, it means he will erase his name. But the good thing here is that it does just the opposite in Greek. Not-not means never, by no means, no way, no how, is your name ever going to be erased from Christ's book of life. So if you have received Jesus, you're born of God, If you're born of God, you overcome because Jesus has overcome. And because you've overcome in him, your name will never, ever, ever be erased from that book of life. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Some of you believe this, but not really. You, You like the idea but you don't really believe it applies to you. You've you've maybe ask God for forgiveness a lot of times, but you just don't feel forgiven. And because you don't feel forgiven, you don't think you're forgiven. And you're right where powers of darkness want you to be fearing, to be thinking that all this truth applies to everybody but you. And it's a lie. And it's time to drop that lie. Some of you believe this about others, but not yourself. So you think, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how many times I've done it. Well, no, I don't, but God does. And I can tell you that Jesus' death on the cross is bigger than any sin we've committed. It's bigger than any number of times we've committed it. And you can't out God. You know, you're not going to get to heaven when you die one day and Jesus going, hey, you know, I died on the cross for everybody, but, you know, you kind of blew me away. I didn't see you coming at all. I mean, we did all we could, but I'm sorry. Sorry about that. You know, good effort by you, but, yeah, you're the only one. No. No. Some of you believe this about others. I'm sorry. Some of you believe this about yourself, but not others. Meaning, your toothbrush is a lot cleaner than most people. Most people's toothbrush is really a lot more disgusting than yours. In fact, yeah, they're the ones that really they they're fooling themselves. And that's another deception. That's another deception that needs to be dropped. So what makes you clean? God's forgiveness through the cross for every sin, every time, for every person, forever. That's what makes us clean. Not our religious works, not our good intentions, not the prayers of our mom and dad. God bless them. What makes you clean is Jesus' death on the cross only as you say yes to that, as you say yes to that. And so maybe you've never said yes to God's forgiveness. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've even talked about it. Or maybe you're like where I was around age 18 and I'd never even heard it, actually, ever. Didn't know anything about it. And so maybe today's the day. Maybe you feel like, well, I don't know, but then maybe today's the day. You can know for sure by just inviting God into your life, saying yes to his forgiveness, saying yes to his love, knowing that today is that day. Maybe you just need some encouragement and some prayer. There's going to be men and women down here after the service who would love to pray for you and encourage you before you leave here today. Maybe you've been hearing what I have to say, and you're thinking, oh, right. well, I've still got some questions. I, I, I'm still not sure how to put all this together. And if I could help with that, I would love to do that. Maybe we can get together. Just call the church office, ask for Lisa, and she'll set it up. She'll set us up so we can sit down, we can wrestle this stuff down, answer every question you got. Or, if you want, on Monday nights, I'm leading the Discover group right out in the lobby at 6 o'clock on Monday nights, all input, all questions are expected and respected. So if you just want to, if you like to talk about this stuff, if you want to ask questions, if you have comments, we're there. It starts at 6 o'clock. You don't have to be here right at 6. You can come anytime you want. But I guess my challenge to be, would be to you, wherever you're at in this whole thing, ask God if that's really where he wants you. Ask God if there's somewhere to go from here. Let me pray for us.